Welcome to the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast, brought to you by Limitless Estates, where Kyle and Lolita talk to top experts and seasoned passive investors in the business to help provide clarity and key insights to keep you safe on your journey to financial freedom. Our goal is to help you get educated on how to create passive income for you and your family by using real estate as your vehicle. Now, here are your hosts, Kyle and Lolita. Thanks for tuning into another episode of the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast. I'm your co-host, Lolita, also joined by Kyle. On the show with us today, we have Adam Carswell. Adam, thanks so much for being on the show. How are you? I'm good. Good morning, guys. Thank you for having me here. Really excited to get into this today. Great. Awesome. Before we get into the interview, here's a little bit about Adam. Adam is a real estate entrepreneur with a hyper-focus in retail shopping centers and commercial syndications. Adam serves as a director at Concordia Realty Corporation and business development manager at ASUM Capital. In all, Adam retains $425 million worth of real estate in numerous states all over the U.S. So super impressive. I'm looking forward to this interview as today's focus will be on a different asset class we haven't talked about yet. So With that being said, Adam, could you please tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself and what you currently do? Absolutely. Yeah, I'd say, first of all, all those big fancy numbers and everything we just said about me, (laughs) don't get get your hopes up too high. I'm going to give you the best I got today. But um, (laughs) no, yeah, it's, 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 thank you for the wonderful introduction. I I really appreciate that. Um, So I got started in real estate. Really, if you really want to look at it, I got started in, in 2015, especially retail in particular. When I was managing uh, stores for Sherwin Williams, the paint company. Now, mm-hmm. at the time, I had no idea that my future, which again, 2015 is not that long ago, but I didn't know that I would be sitting here today talking to you about retail in the way that we're going to. Um, so I had kind of had a light bulb come on, like a lot of us do at some point, where I was just like, "Wow, there's um, a little bit of a ceiling here with what I'm doing, and I want to put myself in a position where the only limit is myself." And so I went into residential real estate for a while with Remax in Washington, D.C. Um, and then along the line, ran into Hunter Thompson, who is my partner at ASIM Capital. I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, have you guys had Hunter on the show now? We have. We have. Okay. Amazing guy. Um, and really, since meeting Hunter, just following his lead and learning, absorbing as much as I can, just becoming a sponge, essentially. So now I work, work with him, um, and I also work with the pretty another very remarkable individual who we'll probably talk about more today, Michael Flight, uh, my business partner at Concordia Realty. And um, I really wouldn't have met Michael if it wasn't for my relationship with Hunter. So uh, I've been in commercial now for, I guess you could say a little over a year and a half and retail (laughs) refocused back into retail in um, October of last year. So still very much in sponge mode right now, but I think I have some pretty valuable information today that I can share with you guys. And um, I have, oh, I have, I have my own podcast as well. And yeah, if we want to talk about that, we can. Yeah, awesome. So thanks for sharing that. And obviously today we're going to talk about retail. So what is it about that asset class that's attractive to you? Yeah, I think for me, the, the first thing that I was really attracted to um, was the fact that there's this buzz right now that retail is dying. 
I look at, I, and I think I learned that again, because I started working with Hunter at, um, in, at ASIM Capital first, because our focus there is self-storage and mobile home parks. And I, I know we're going to focus on retail, but I'll say, I know with mobile home parks, um, which are actually starting to get a little bit popular now, surprisingly, but at the time, everyone's like, oh, mobile home parks, stay away from that. Meanwhile, we're like, this is great for us. No one wants to touch it because it's, <laughs> you know, it's got that reputation. And so with retail, I started to observe the same thing. I'm like, everyone is uh, a little bit afraid of it right now. And for us being in, in real estate, being in this industry, especially on the investing side of things, that's really the one thing that I feel like is preached the most is when everyone's head's looking one way, go the other way. And so I, you know, at the end of the day, I could be completely wrong, <laughs> but um, I'm really gravitated towards retail because of the fact that it has a moderately negative stigma right now, knowing that, you know, one day it will make a comeback because retail has been around for a long time too. I mean, um, even since ancient Rome and then fast forward a few centuries or whatever, you've got uh, the dollar, uh, no, excuse me, not the dollar, the general store, the 1800s and that evolved. And then you had the internet at the time, the killer at the time, which was the catalog. And then the catalog turned into brick and mortar, et cetera. And we got malls and everything. It's just, it's been around forever. It's just taking new forms. So um, I think that's what really drew me in. And then I, I guess to add on to that a little bit more detail, um, Michael Flight, who's my partner, um, it's just amazing the level of knowledge and detail that he has. For me, it's been a huge benefit. Uh, Concordia Realty, we've been in business since 1990. So um, a lot of experience in regards to this asset class. Great. So can you talk through what your business model and strategy is with retail centers? Because, you know, we mainly focus on multifamily. So I'm sure it's a little bit different than that. And then I'm sure our listeners would love to hear about that. Mm -hmm. And I'd say in many ways, it actually is very similar to most real estate and, and multifamily. Um, our, our main focus, like a lot of other firms is uh, value add. We do, we have done some heavy lift uh, projects. One I'll use, for example, this was really before my time, but I know that this happened. Um, this was in the, in the mid 2000s, we emptied out a shopping mall. This is Mil Milwaukee, Wisconsin area, emptied out the mall over time, I should say. Uh, I, wanna, I believe over a four or five year period when Michael listens to this, he'll be able to laugh at me and tell me what I got right or wrong. <laughs> but uh, four to five year period, put a, a cinema in the back, like I said, slowly emptied out the mall to a point where um, we were able to sell it to a Walmart developer. And it was, it was basically a, an ideal heavy lift situation, as I mentioned. And now that particular area is flourishing ever since we negotiated that deal with the Walmart. So um, those, are, those situations are rare, but we have done those before. Our main focus, as I mentioned, is value add. So we're looking for shopping centers in secondary and tertiary markets, uh, primary markets. If the shoe fits, maybe. Um, we have a pretty comprehensive financial model, which I'm still learning and is still changing every day, but it's, it's been pretty remarkable to see the accuracy that it can give us. So um, I will say we like the secondary and tertiary markets, but there was a deal just the other day we were looking at in Anaheim, California. Um, <clears throat> and it's funny, and I might touch on this later in the interview as well. But um, so Michael sent it to me and he's like, why do you why do you think I'm looking at this? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm surprised at first. Cause it's Anaheim. I know we don't, don't normally go in that area. Um, I'm like, 
is it is it the cap rate? Uh, I think it was like an eight eight percent cap rate, seven or eight percent, which is high for the area. And he's says he's like, when have when have I ever when have I ever told you to look at something because of a cap rate? I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> so his focus was the price per square foot. You know, we look at opportunities between seventy five to a hundred dollars per square foot, and I think this one was like eighty dollars per square foot in, in in the LA area, and we're like. Why, why is that? And so we did some further research. And actually, I think Michael knew this from the beginning, but he was just quizzing me at the time. Uh, the center, shopping center, was on a, uh, on a ground lease. And so because of that, I mean, so I, I, I can't say that we've ever done a deal where we would move into that position. Um, but I know that we stayed away from it because of that reason. But it was just interesting to see, you know, what he looks at compared to me still learning like uh, I don't know are you looking at it because of cap rate I, I just thought it was so funny how it's like when have I ever <laughs> told you to look at something because of the cap rate so we're always looking at the the smaller details before we uh, look at something high level like that can you explain what a ground lease is for the listeners yeah and I'll do it to the best of my ability I'll tell you that right now so a ground lease is um is a shopping center that's built on a parcel of land or a piece of land that's owned by someone other than, for example, us coming in and acquiring the property. So basically, us acquiring the property is signing into a lease where, you know, again, depending on the situation, we really would have less control. And I think that's why we stayed away from it. It's because when you're, especially you don't have a relationship maybe with the owner or not familiar with the area, that could really backfire on you. And whatever type of projections you have could very well not not pan out. So um I don't know, that's still a little bit of a high level explanation, but does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And okay. so you mentioned also you like to focus on secondary and tertiary markets. Is there a reason why you stay away from primary markets? Yeah, and this is going to sound kind of funny now because I was just talking about how it doesn't, <clears throat> doesn't necessarily matter, but um, it, it's, it's the cap rates in the, in the primary markets are higher. And actually, I should say this to back up what I was saying now, normally the price per square foot in the primary markets um, are, are, is higher, along with many other things that uh, just make it tougher for us to find a good reason to move forward from a returns perspective. A lot of the times it just doesn't make sense in our financial model. Um, and I'd say, you know, similar to multifamily, it's, it's kind of the same, the same beast in regards to, you know, the, I mean, Texas is all over, everyone's all over Texas multifamily right now. That's a great secondary market, if you will. So, um, yeah, that's that's why we would stay away from primary, but we are we are watching what's happening in the primary markets because still those are the, the trend setting markets. That's where you see a lot of the online dominance coming in in the online markets. I know one thing I was just researching the other day, Uber and Lyft are making a huge push. Um, even in LA, maybe maybe you guys have seen it. Uh, there's Uber, Lyft sections in shopping centers. They're really doing everything they can to partner with these companies to get people to where they want to go. I mean, parking especially in California at a shopping center, it can sometimes be a complete nightmare. So um, that's, those are things that you like to watch in the primary markets, because then depending on how they perform, you can implement those strategies correctly in, in secondary and tertiary markets. What are some of the charges that landlords and tenants negotiate that different from multifamily or maybe some other things that when you're acquiring a park uh, uh, retail property, you need to be careful of? Yeah, the, the probably the biggest, thing with most retail real estate, not all, but this is again where we can implement value add strategies. Uh, 
we like for our tenants to really be, be paying for everything, which is a triple net lease. And then, and so um, in multifamily, you know, well, you, you actually will normally have the tenants paying for utilities, but you know, property taxes, um, common area, common area maintenance, you, you're uh, with the triple net lease, you are minimizing your expenses as the owner basically. And so in multifamily residential real estate, a lot of the times you will have the owners still covering those costs. And so if we come into a situation where it is just a, a single net lease or a net net lease or um, gross lease, we know that over time we can add value by renegotiating those leases and in increasing the, uh, the return. Got it. And are triple net leases more common or are uh, the gross leases more common? Triple net are definitely the most common. Uh, but you will still find centers across the country that are in gross leases and other forms of, of leases. And again, that's, that's where we do get excited when we're looking at an opportunity because we know that's a strategy that we have, thankfully, a lot of experience negotiating and can normally make it favorable to, uh, to not only to us, but to the tenants as well. Okay. Earlier, you talked about kind of the retail apocalypse um, uh, stigma that's out there. And, and obviously, Amazon is out there, the retail killer, as they call them. So what are your thoughts about that? I know you say, you know, when, when one person looks, or if everyone's looking in one direction, you look in the other. But talk a little bit more about the retail apocalypse that everyone's talking about. Yeah, I think um, Amazon is the most compelling firm right now in regards to retail evolving and becoming even greater than what it might currently be. As most of your listeners probably know by now, Amazon acquired Whole Foods, which was a $13.7 billion acquisition. I was trying to find this article before our call and I couldn't find it. There was something I read the other day that had to do with, I mean, Sears has been struggling as most of us know recently, but something with the online component and Sears doing this hybrid thing, Google it, look it up, Sears. It was within the past maybe two months. Uh, but that was a great article. I'll go back to Amazon quickly, and then I want to talk about Walmart and Target as well. So the amount of data that Amazon has access to, the amount of due diligence that they're capable of doing, I think is a very telling sign for what the future of retail will be. And putting $13.7 billion into brick and mortar, you know, the, the biggest baddest company in the world. Uh, I just think that's good writing on the wall and we'll see what happens. You know, it wasn't, wasn't too long ago that this acquisition did take place, but I think it is, it is showing the direction in which retail is going, which is companies want omni-channels. They want more than one way for their customers to get to them. They want, if their customers order something and want it the same day, they order online, they go pick it up, boom, right there. It was, you know, we were definitely starting to see that already. Uh, Amazon Go stores are even starting to pop up. I don't know all the details of that, but I do know it's, again, something that's just very compelling. So um, in regards to retail making a comeback, I'm supportive of it. It's just, we don't know what it's going to look like. It's, a, it's constantly evolving. Um, and then what I was going to say about Walmart and Target is last year, they both just had their best years ever. I think from a percentage standpoint too, Walmart outperformed Amazon in many ways last year. And they Walmart actually has an advantage over Amazon right now in the fact that they already have a huge 
brick and mortar establishment. Walmart's stepping up their delivery, um, their app. They're really, I, I, this is my personal opinion. I think that we're going to see a lot of competition between Walmart and Amazon. Keep your eyes on, on Walmart if you're not already a, someone who believes in, in the future of it, because they're doing a lot even um, with that app, they've got geo tracking. So if you ordered your desk chair and you got to go pick it up, um, you know, they get a notification. Oh, Kyle's a mile away. <laughs> Better hurry get this thing ready to go out the door. Um, and they've got something, some, some data point that they're using, I think, which is like, they'll have their, your product to you in 11 seconds or something like that. So, um, 11 seconds upon your arrival. So yeah, that's um, what I think about the apocalypse. I think it's just a lot of media hype right now, which is fine because um, eventually I, I believe it will change and we'll be in a good position to be successful. Yeah. What are the strategies that you use to rent your spaces out? I'm sure you target specific types of industries to put into the to the centers to attract more people. Do, how do you market to those companies and get them in there? But I, I would really like this question in particular because it reminded me of why I gravitated so much towards um, commercial real estate at large. It's a very, very relationship, long-term relationship driven business. And in, in my opinion, low pressure sales. I mean, cause you're going into deals with people that you could be in a deal with them for at least 10 years. So I want to be able to sit down and have dinner with you for the next 10 years and not want to, you know, disagree with you on, on, on much. So um, our strategy from what I have observed, and this is personal and, and through working with, with Michael at Concordia, uh, bringing in tenants and, and, and filling up a shopping center, it all comes down to our relationships. I mean, there's Old Navy, Ross's, Marshall's. I, I have relationships at Sherwin-Williams still. There's such a vast amount of tenants that now from being experienced that we've worked with, we don't really have to market much. It's more make a couple phone calls. Can you get me on the phone with so-and-so? Um, I guess the only cold outreach maybe that we've done so far is I know Tide is getting ready to start doing their own um, dry cleaning store. And so I've been doing, I've been reaching out to Tide recently and, and, and networking with their team to build a, to, but simply to build a relationship there. And it's not like we need them tomorrow or, or something like that. So, um, in regards to marketing to bring tenants in, a lot of the time it's more just looking looking within, looking at our network, who we already know, and making a few phone calls. How do you go about deciding kind of the mix that the tenants are going to be in there? I mean, you know, you mentioned like Ross or Tide or, or a couple other stores. Are there certain stores that you focus on to get in there that may be a more reliable anchor tenant or a more sought after tenant um, to, to kind of you know, diversify your, your shopping center? Yes, absolutely. Our, our normal, normally what we look for, not always, because again, if the shoe fits and it works with our model, then we'll, we'll take a closer look at it. But number one rule of thumb is it has to be a grocery anchored shopping center. Okay. Um, we believe the grocery aspect is also being affected by what's going on online right now. We have, you know, delivery systems in place, but that really hasn't been, um, excuse me, figured out yet. And so grocery stores are, are great for driving traffic, plain and simple. Um, along with that, we like it to be complemented with one of the discount stores that we mentioned, Ross's, TJ Maxx, Marshall's, always very beneficial. Um, 
dollar stores are our other uh, concept that we like, preferably Dollar Tree, because Dollar Tree, you'll see it in a, in a more wide variety, a, a bigger spectrum, you'll get it in um, you know, lower income areas, middle income areas, and high, higher income areas. Uh, Dollar General is starting to follow a little bit of that trend with Dollar Tree. It's not quite there yet. And then Family Dollar um, normally is, they're going to pay a lower rent because they're normally in a, in a more um, urban area, lower income area. But the interesting thing also about Dollar Stores, if you, if you combine all three of the ones that I just mentioned, and there's other brands out there as well, um, this is maybe something actually not think about it. You have to Google, but it, the amount of dollar stores compared to grocery stores, et cetera, it, they far outweigh um, these other, some of these other tenants that I just mentioned. And so that just shows how valuable it is to have stores like that in neighborhoods and, and how they do perform pretty consistently. Do you guys focus on both shopping centers and then single building uh, retail as well? So like the Dollar General in one shopping center where that, that's the only tenant? That's something that we, we normally have not focused on. Um, but to not get too far ahead of ourselves, it's something that we're starting to look into because um, recently there's been an interesting trend with uh, triple net single tenant leases. So um Normally, no, but one thing that we will do is sometimes uh, this will go back more to what I was talking about with the heavy lift approach. Uh, maybe we'll acquire a, a shopping center with you know, X amount of square feet. Maybe there's a bunch of parking spaces that aren't being used. We'll turn that into an out parcel and then, and then resell it to a Walgreens, to a CVS, to a um, McDonald's, etc. So, um, yeah, right now, another, another compelling area, um, again, and I would just advise listeners to do their own research on this. It's something that we're definitely still doing a lot of due diligence on and just something maybe build a little bit of hype for um, medical, medical space and um, wellness as well are pretty compelling single, single tenant um, opportunities. So um, those are all things right now that we're you know, simply looking at, we're intrigued by. And um, again, if the numbers begin to make sense, then you'll probably hear, hear more from me, hopefully in the future. Okay. What are the keys to owning a successful operating retail center in your mind? I, I really like this question too, because um, I think it translates across all industries, which is um, how well did you prepare for this acquisition? So preparation, our financial model, which is, you know, we're always working on ways to improve it, uh, but it's, I personally, I think it's something that I, I haven't seen anywhere else yet. So uh, that's first is preparation. What are you doing to underwrite and, and get ready to guarantee this offering that you're putting together? And then the team. And so the team really goes into that because you can't have this top-notch preparation without top-notch individuals part of uh, what's going on. And I think, honestly, what I can see so far with even your podcast, it's the team in preparation. You and <laughs> Lita, I... I was just impressed, plain and simple. Like this, this show, for example, is, is, is going to, uh, it hasn't already taken off. Like it's simply going to stand out because of the team and because of the preparation. So whether it's podcasting, uh, real estate, sports, you name it. Um, that's, that's what I believe, uh, you know, really to, to answer your question, uh, owning, uh, owning a successful center, that's what goes into it. And, and yeah, we have some incredible partners that we work with at Concordia that, um, 
continue to impress me every day. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for that. So from a passive investor's point of view, what types of returns are they seeing on average with this asset class? And what does a typical structure look like? I mean, is it, is it similar to multifamily in that sense? Yeah, um, it's hard to say, especially because security attorneys stress that you don't quote returns. Um, however, I could say that cap rates are currently higher for retail. For example, a single tenant, at least guaranteed by McDonald's is, um, you know, that we're seeing something maybe in the four to five uh, percent range. <clears throat> Dollar Tree, Dollar General, as we talked about, those are going to be a little bit higher, six and a half, seven percent range. Um, and then same with grocery stores in that six and a half, seven and a half range. So um, value add deals normally are always the eight percent. Um, and up. Okay, and great. Lolita's going to take us into our final four questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. I think these are the, like the, the really fun ones, right? <laughs> Let's see about that. <laughs> okay. All right, Adam, here we go. What is the one tool that you use in real estate investing that you could not do without? I think this one is one that everyone in real estate investing can definitely agree with is Microsoft Excel. Um, you kind of need that. I mean, I guess you could use <laughs> Google Sheets, but it's not as it's not as user-friendly in my opinion, uh, but that's kind of a boring answer too. So I didn't want to throw some fun ones in there. Um, other one is LinkedIn. I have within the past year really ramped up my LinkedIn activity and in the past couple of months to be specific, I've just been networking. It's, it's a 24 seven networking event. Mm -hmm. And so if you can realize that and treat it like one and not be afraid to put a post out there that might get two likes, then it's it's pretty remarkable what you can do on LinkedIn. I've really, really met some amazing people on there that I haven't even done any form of business with yet. But again, it's, um, you know, this is a long-term relationship industry. So um, it's just good to be on there and interacting with individuals. And then my third one, this will be quick, is a Zoom meeting because, hey, here we are. That's, That's where we are. <laughs> awesome. Can you tell us a story about your biggest mistake in real estate investing so far and the main takeaway for our listeners? Yeah, I think this is probably a mistake that most individuals um, can relate to. And it's not starting sooner. Um, and thankfully, I'm, I'm 28. So I, a lot of the times I'll have someone tell me like, hey, you're still you're still way ahead of, uh, you know, me when I was a whippersnapper <laughs> or whatever. But um, I mean, if I I didn't really have access to the knowledge that I have now either. But I think with a little bit more willpower and and hunger at, you know, maybe age 22 or 23, I could be having this conversation with you when I was 26 instead of 28. So um, that's fine because age is simply only a number and mm -hmm. I don't, I really don't have many regrets to be honest, but um, if there's something that I could, that I wish I could have done differently mistake wise, it would just be starting sooner, getting the ball going, getting the ball rolling. Okay. What is it that you need to do now to grow your life to the next level? Uh, first thing is when this interview goes live to blast it out to my network um, <laughs> and continue to uh, just have conversations with, with people like you guys. Be consistent. Um, keep my face out there. It's, uh, I guess it's a pretty simple cliche, and cliche answer, but be consistent. Keep your face out there. Um, one guy that I follow on, on LinkedIn who, who I get a lot of advice from and have been able to grow my network through, he, he puts up all the time, hashtag be posting daily. So keep your face out there. Yeah, it's important to be active and proactive. And lastly, Adam, where can people find out more about you? 
best place to go is my uh, personal website, which is Carswell, C-A-R-S-W-E-L-L dot I-O, I is in Idaho, O is in Ohio. Um, that'll, that'll give you links and connections to everywhere that I am, whether it's with ASM Capital, Concordia Realty, um, my podcasts, I'm on YouTube, LinkedIn, I, I, any, anything that we talked about today. You can get more information starting there. And actually, I share my website with my brother, Paul. So um, if you're close to turning 65 years old, he's in uh, Medicare and Medicaid <laughs> insurance sales. So uh, you'll be able to click on his profile too if you want to. Awesome. What's the name of your podcast? Uh, my podcast is Dream Chasers, Interviews with the Future. And on Dream Chasers, we interview individuals with supernatural amounts of potential based on early success in their careers. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's get straight to the interview. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Total radio voice. <laughs> Love it. Awesome. Well, that goes to show that there are a variety of options to get involved in real estate. So keep in mind, everyone, that you're not limited to just one specific asset class if you want the diversity. So Adam, thanks so much for being on the show. I appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you, Lolita. Thank you, Kyle. This is, uh, it's been a really great honor. And as I mentioned, I'm really excited to see how this show continues to perform. I think you guys got everything you need for it to be amazing. Awesome. Thanks, Adam. Uh Thanks for listening. To learn more about the passive income through multifamily real estate podcast, and to get access to today's show notes and to previous shows, visit limitless-estates.com. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe to the podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in again next week for another episode.